With that, let us listen for the word of the Lord. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. There will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up again. I have received this commandment from my Father. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Come Holy Spirit, Heavenly Dove, come kindle the flame of sacred love in these cold yet hopeful hearts of ours. Amen. Many of us have our faith formed by hymns we have learned and sung throughout all of our life, particularly in America, by hymns about the cross that come primarily from the 19th century. These hymns give a positive picture of the cross. Beneath the cross of Jesus, I fain would take my stand, the shadow of a mighty rock within a weary land. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss in poor contempt on all my pride. And then the opening verse to the hymn we sung at the beginning of this, of this service. In the cross of Christ I glory, towering o'er the wrecks of time. All the light of sacred story gathers round its head sublime. In Christian faith, the cross, the passion, the death of Christ is central to our beliefs. But not all of our understandings of the cross are clear. And not all of our feelings or our emotional reactions to it are positive. Some large non-denominational churches have removed the cross altogether from their worship spaces, not wanting to appear overly religious and perhaps not wanting to appear overly demanding to people who are searching. In churches like ours, attendance at Maundy Thursday and Good Friday services pales in comparison to Palm Sunday and Easter, and I don't think it's just a matter of scheduling It's a reminder 
that the, that the death exacted on the cross is an aspect of the life and destiny of Jesus Christ, which, if given the choice, we might prefer to downplay in favor of lilies that bloom. I've known people throughout the church who have witnessed or experienced violence and have a hard time with Lent, with Passion Sunday, with Maundy Thursday. A woman in a congregation I served once came to me and said, I cannot go to the communion service anymore because I cannot hear the mention of blood. The cross can bring back memories unwelcome for those of us who have them. In addition to these personal experiences surrounding the cross, there are at least two major theological questions that arise in its wake. If, as some theologies maintain, if in fact, as the dominant theology in America maintains, Christ actually died on the cross for the purpose of bearing punishment that is aimed at us, or for satisfying God's sense of justice over something that we have done, we cannot help but ask what kind of God would expect such wrath, express such wrath and expect such punishment, even from his own child. If in fact the Lord and Savior at the heart of our religion dies alone, impoverished, hungry, naked, convicted as a common criminal. What does that say about how much power God actually has in the world? In a society which calls us and stretches so much on achievement and success, what does it mean to worship a God who died as a common criminal? Such questions may lead us to glory in the cross of Christ, but with just a little bit more restraint. They may lead us to take our stand at a distance from rather than beneath the cross of Christ. They may lead us to seek a Savior who will bring us a kingdom that has a little more earthly power than the kingdom recognized by the cross. Throughout Lent, we are, through the choral anthems such as what we just heard and through the preaching and teaching of the church, we're spending time with the poetry of George Herbert. George Herbert was a 17th century Anglican priest who wrote between the time of Shakespeare and the time of Milton. The choir has just sung the first half of one of his poems entitled Easter. In this poem, as you heard particularly Dave say in the solo, Herbert unabashedly embraces the cross. That's why this anthem is so strong and so upbeat. In Herbert's day, he was a musician as well as a poet. And his instrument of choice was the lute. And the lute was made from wood, just as the cross is made from wood. And the strings of the lute, it was a stringed instrument, were made from animal sinews. 
in order to make the sound as near perfect as it could be, the animal sinews had to be stretched as far as they could be stretched. And he ties that in his poetry to the crucifixion. The cross taught all wood to resound his name who bore the same. His stretched sinews, like Christ stretched on the cross, taught all strings what key it is best to celebrate this holy day of Easter. For the lute to make its best melody, its strings, for its strings to make their most celebratory music, for followers of Christ to be able to twist a song pleasant and long, our lives have to bear the cross. They have to resound with the wood of the cross. They have to take their pattern from the suffering and the sacrifice and the self-denial and the self-giving that is represented by the cross. That is a central message of the Christian faith. Now Herbert's embrace of the cross in his poetry is consistent with a major way that Jesus is depicted in the New Testament. While in many ways in all four Gospels, as Jesus faces death, he is depicted as the victim of political intrigue, as the victim of false accusation, as the victim of expedience on the part of civil and religious authorities who make one of those practical political decisions. All of this is true. But these are secondary to the fact, the deeper fact, that in his life and destiny, Christ chooses from himself, out of a position of strength, death on the cross. I am the good shepherd, he says in the Gospel of John. I lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. One of the ancient writers of the church links Jesus' embrace of the cross with his origins with God at creation. As word who was with God at creation and who was God in the beginning, Christ chose to take himself a mother of low estate. He followed this pattern of service and servitude throughout his life. Christ fulfilled an exalted purpose in living and dying as an obscure figure from a province that nobody had ever heard of. His birth was indeed humble. It was consecrated by two pigeons, which is the offering that the poorest people were able to bring to the temple. As a boy, he impressed the elders in the temple, but that did not bring him into any elevated or exalted position. In his truest nature, human and divine, Christ was found throughout his life to be among those who hungered and thirsted and were sick and in prison. The pattern of his life was marked by the cross on which he lost it. 
So that's the text of Scripture with a lot of theology behind it and a classic poet consistent with it. But most of that lives in the head, not the heart, not our lives. What does it mean for us if we truly embrace the cross positively in our life? On one level, it means living our lives in the most ordinary way, serving others. Since Jesus chose to be born in the most humble of circumstances, since he chose to live among ordinary people, since he chose to bless common bread and common wine, the elements of the earth, the elements of the earth, the elements of a meal, since he chose to die the most humble of deaths, it is precisely in the ordinariness of our birth and our life, in the everydayness of our experience, that we too find blessing. For Christ to be human in the way Christ was human means that all we do, experience, or witness matters. It matters very much. Those of you who were at adult ed were told correctly that I do a good bit of the family shopping. So I am often at the Safeway at Bradley Center up there on the other side of the interject, intersection of Quaker and Duke and King and seven other eight other streets that come together. <laughs> Last night, Maggie and I hosted a dinner party for her congregation uh, from Maryland that hosted it at our house. So on Friday night, we were at Safeway about midnight. <laughs> the store was not very busy at that point, there were more staff and employees than there were customers. And we were in a hurry, so she had her list and I had mine, so we took separate carts and went throughout the store. And my items were fewer in number, so I secured them earlier, and I went up by the line of cashiers and just waited and watched people. One of the people working there, stocking the shelves, was a big burly, careless, bearded man who looked to be in his early 60s? The answer to the question, I'm 61 today. <laughs> Whoever asked, thank you. But this man clearly loved helping customers. And we were looking for a vacuum cleaner bag. So we asked him, if he could help us find a vacuum cleaner bag. He took us all over that store, joyfully trying to help us find a vacuum cleaner bag. And he had just started there. And at the end of the journey, he said, we don't carry vacuum cleaner bags. <laughs> but in his presence, he was so energetic and outgoing and so helpful. And I began to wonder, what's his story? Why is he working here? Why is he working the night shift 
Does this job represent a fresh start for him? Has he just gotten out of prison or out of rehab? At the counter, at the cashier, there was a young African-American teenager sitting behind one of the cashiers, and there was no business, so she was just sitting there. She was quiet. She looked not so much tired as sad. When we pulled up with our carts that were pretty loaded down, This prospect of the activity of checking us out didn't seem to break the spell that she was under. I spoke to her, but she didn't really engage, so I left her alone. But then I noticed that on her right bicep was tattooed a simple star. And I wondered, what's going on with her? Who has hurt her to leave her sad? What will she go home to when her shift ends? And what hope was it, or is it, that burns deep within her that led her to collect her funds and go to a tattoo shop, a tattoo artist, and have enfleshed on the muscle of strength a symbol of hope. What was it? As we were going around the aisle at one point uh, in the store, looking for those final few items that you need when you have a dinner party, and which you don't know where they are in the store because you never buy them, which is why you're going around the whole store looking for them before you have a dinner party. I recognized a father and two sons from a local Japanese restaurant that we patronize far too many times a week. He and his two sons are always at the restaurant. He behind the counter, the two sons waiting tables. They are Asian and we feel as we have watched the as if we have watched these two boys grow up. Their restaurant is open until 11 p.m. every night. I know because we often roll in about 10:45. And here they were. At midnight, shopping for their food, for their home, for that rare meal, presumably, that they share together in wherever it is they live. And I couldn't help but wonder, what has brought them to this country? When did they come? How is it going? Is this neighborhood restaurant that so many of us go to doing well? Is it fulfilling the hope that brought them here? 
How are the two boys doing in school? For Christ as God to be human in the way that Christ as God was human means that what we do and what we experience and what we seek as human beings matters. It matters a lot. That's one meaning of the cross. Another meaning is that for some of us, embracing the cross means accepting a fate or a responsibility that we would not necessarily have chosen. The fact is, we do not always get to choose the cross we embrace or the cross we bear. Sometimes it is chosen for us. And sometimes that choice involves us in great sacrifice and great suffering over many months or many years. Much greater sacrifice and suffering than the ups and downs of shopping at Safeway at midnight. Herbert said that the cross is, quote, a strange and uncouth thing that disrupts one's normal life. It leads us to lives. It leads us whose lives are disrupted by it to a state to a state that he describes as thin and spare, yet active strength. For those of us who are beset by illness, for those of us who find themselves find ourselves caring for another human being for years. For those of us beset by a strange gift or by some rare impediment, the cross can be an uncouth thing. An uncouth thing that disrupts our normal life. Yet if we embrace it however reluctantly, however slowly, it can produce within us a life that is thin and spare yet active strength. And third, for others of us, the embrace of the cross may have significant vocational and lifestyle implications. George Herbert, the poet, was born well. His family had land. They were aristocrats. He had education and resources. In his late 20s, he was on track to become a professor at Cambridge, one of the greatest universities of the world. Herbert was mentored by John Donne, who had much the same brilliance and many of the same opportunities. Donne chose ambition and power and renown and worked his way up to becoming dean of St. Paul's Cathedral. Herbert wrestled with his ambition and the opportunities that he had before him as well, but ultimately he forsook publication. He entered the priesthood the Anglican priesthood, and he served the remaining years of his life as a country parson among farmers. Perhaps great places in thy praise do not so well agree, he wrote, concerning his choice, his particular choice of the cross. The cross does not call on everyone to reject power, Some must accept its myriad responsibilities. We're deeply aware of this as a nation as we're in the midst of a fractious presidential primary season. 
And as we face the loss of a Supreme Court justice, Justice Scalia, Scalia, I'm sorry, Scalia, no, Scalia, I'm very sorry, I don't know what, who was a brilliant leader of one faction of our Supreme Court and whose death leaves not only a large family that is grieving, but a court that may not be as invulnerable to stalemate as other branches of our government have proved to be in recent years. Yet even when we live with or near or in the city of earthly, worldly power, the cross calls each of us in our own way to lives that are thin and spare, yet of active strength, to the praise of God in or outside of great places, and to standing beneath it and embracing it with joy. Amen.